0: People in the North think that people in the, the South would benefit more than the North from unity. And people in the South think that people in the North would benefit more than the South from from unity. But as as Brendan, I think, briefly said earlier, there's um, a tendency for, for Northern Protestants in particular to be the group who'll say that, well, nobody's going to benefit particularly. And Northern Catholics and people in the South are more likely to say that both North and South would, would benefit.
1: Hello, and welcome to this month's Aaron's podcast. I'm Rory Montgomery. Listeners may recall that early last year, 2023, we had a most interesting podcast with Brendan O'Leary and John Garry, who were um, very much heavily involved on behalf of Aaron's in the Aaron's Irish Times public opinion surveys about a whole range of aspects to do with a possible united Ireland. Now, just recently, and I'm recording this on the 11th of December, just recently, this year's findings have been published, or the first of this year's findings have been published in the Irish Times as part, as I say, of the joint Aaron's irish Times surveys. The lead person on the Irish Times side being Pat Leahy. And then on this side, um, you've Brendan and John and also a new name and um, who isn't with us today, Jamie Pow. And... So let me introduce my guests, although they may not need much introduction because Brendan O'Leary has been on on a couple of other occasions as well. Uh, John Gary is Professor of Political Behaviour at Queen's University Belfast. Brendan O'Leary is the Lauder Professor of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania. And Jamie Pow is a lecturer in Political Science at Queen's University Belfast. So I might start off maybe with, with you, Brendan, give a Broad overview, not at this stage of the results of the survey, but of the questions you've been asking, whether there are differences from last year uh, in the way you approached it, and you know, overall, um, you know, what your your sense is uh, of the, you know, of, of the extra value from of this year's survey. Thank you,
2: Rory. It's a pleasure to see you again. First of all, we did repeat some questions. We asked the fundamental question whether people preferred the Union or a United Ireland. Uh, We asked about their expectations of a a referendum. But we chose to do some uh, novel uh, focuses, if that's a good word. Uh, We chose to focus strongly on questions related to economics. Uh, We looked at uh, whether making people better off or worse off would shape their potential future voting behavior. We looked at whether they were willing to invest in in the South in a sovereign wealth fund for the possibility of costs attached to United Ireland. We looked at people's preferences regarding a future Irish constitution. We looked at evidence of flexibility on those questions in the South. We found last year, as your listeners will recall, that there was very strong resistance to any idea of changing the flag or the anthem. So we set up questions this year to set, to see if uh, proposed procedural changes might lead to a certain degree of greater flexibility. We have some new questions uh, Never asked before on possible models of institutional change. And we have some fresh identity materials uh, based on new scaling for which John should take a lot of credit. Um, so I think we've got plenty for people to be interested in. We didn't repeat, for example, what we did last year on questions related to an integrated Ireland or a devolved uh, united Ireland in which there would be a a persisting set of institutions in the north. We didn't expect to see much big movement in those questions, so we focused on other questions instead. One big headline that I would like to deliver, if John will forgive me, uh, a significant increase in uh, in losers' consent among northern Protestants. What does that mean? Last year, uh, almost one-third of Protestants, 32%, found the idea of United Ireland almost impossible to accept. This year, that number is down to 23%. That's a very significant fall, well within the statistical margins of, of significance. Well beyond. Well, well beyond. Thank you for correcting me. Um, and that, that, I think… Um, shows that first of all people are getting used to the idea and they also think that the correct thing to respond to a a fairly conducted referendum is to accept the outcome provided it's been done procedurally correctly. It may also reflect um, maybe a certain degree of Protestant pessimism uh, as a result of the protocol and the failure of the devolved institutions to work, at least at present.
1: Thank you very much, Brendan. Uh, John, maybe you could talk a bit about methodology. Uh, I, we covered this last year, of course, but I think it would be very useful for listeners to hear exactly how how you and and Brendan went about it.
0: Yeah, um, thanks very much, Rory. Well, as Brendan has said, one of the key aims is that we repeat certain very important questions uh, every year, and therefore it's really important that we adopt the same methodological approach. And so, just like Last year, are we conduct surveys of the public in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland, and these are conducted by Ipsos Northern Ireland and Ipsos uh, BNA in the south. And these are representative samples of the public. Um, over just over a thousand people were interviewed, and these were people from across all constituencies and across the whole breadth of the country, uh, both in the south and in the north. And these, um, sample that we generated is, is representative in terms of the usual demographic traits. One might imagine age, gender and class, and also in, in Northern Ireland in terms of, um, religion background. In terms of the, um, you know, the, the construction of the questionnaire, this takes um, this takes a lot more time than you might imagine and there's a lot of very fruitful and constructive discussion that goes into identifying what questions are good and valuable to keep in order to have a consistent trend over time and what type of questions to have that are new and Brendan has just uh, very valuably described the trade-offs there and what we went for.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, John, for that. Um, well, Brendan sort of certainly covered the the broad um, topics which have um, been Reported on so far, um, my understanding is that there will be further um, uh, further reports and further elements drawn from the surveys later uh, this month, i.e., later in January twenty four. Uh, but by the time uh, this uh, airs, as it were, uh, they won't have come out. So we'll focus very much on the um, on, on the, the questions which have been addressed uh, so far. So Brendan, f- first of all, I mean the basic question. Uh, Yes or no for United Ireland? So what we see there
2: is a growth in support for unification in the north from 27% to 30%. That's uh, not quite statistically significant. We're looking for 3.1% in either direction uh, to achieve statistical significance, but it's roughly in the direction we would have expected. Support for the union has gone up by one percentage point from 50 to 51, which is not statistically significant for the reason I just gave, Uh, a reduction in the number of don't knows. And we still have a constant that uh, there are more Northern Catholics who favor the union, uh, roughly one in five, than there are Northern Protestants who support uh, unification. That's roughly one in 20. So not a a big amount of change. Uh, I think we would emphasize two things. First of all, uh, the point about increased loser's consent, uh, which is um, a leading indicator of willingness to see a a peaceful transition if it were to happen. And secondly, I think it's important to notice that both north and south – Preparing for United Ireland as an idea has risen in terms of voters' priorities. It's still clear, as you might expect, that housing and health care are very strong priorities in the south, particularly housing in the south. Uh, health care is a, is a very strong priority in the north. But the number of people interested in increasing preparation or indeed in achieving a United Ireland,
1: that's gone up. Interesting question about the don't knows. I mean... Obviously, there are, are don't-knows and would like further information uh, across all of the, the questions. And This is, I suppose, maybe a question for John. Um, if you don't know necessarily or not, are not sure about whether you'd support the Union or United Ireland, does that make you less likely to have a firm opinion on, on all of the other topics which were, were broached?
0: We haven't done a detailed um, cross-tabulation on that, but typically what happens if, is if people say do not know to one thing, they... Very often, or more, happen to say don't know to 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 other things. We have to remember that there's a lot of people in in the world who live uh, normal, entertaining, flourishing lives, and they're not obsessed with with politics. And these people genuinely don't know, and that's absolutely fine, and it's 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 unproblematic. I think it's interesting to hone in on because in some of the questions, particularly the more novel procedural questions we felt that we ought to give people an option in addition to facilitating people saying don't know we also offered them an option which is I would like to know more about this before I come to a view on it that helps us to disentangle a a couple of things that kind of what you might call the hardcore don't know don't cares don't want to think about this and then people who well they don't know (laughs) but they might want to think about it more. And in those questions that we might get onto later, there's there's quite a few people who take up that opportunity to say, well, I'd actually like to know more about this before I make up my mind.
2: There is, for your interest, Rory, uh, 5% of those in the North who would not vote and 4% in the South who would not vote. That's a clearly different category to don't know.
1: Yes, of course, um, 44% in the South did not vote in the referendum on the Good Friday Agreement. Um, so maybe people are wish to appear more civic minded uh, in response to pollsters than they do and they are in reality. Um, uh, you mentioned losers' consent, um, uh, and that is quite a significant change, as you said, down from a you know a third to just over a fifth uh, of uh, of of Northern Protestants who would um, you know find it very hard to accept. On the other hand, I mean, one has the sense that as like last year that Northern Catholics in particular would be sort of more phlegmatic about Uh, a negative outcome from their point of view. Yes,
2: and and Southerners too. And I I think there's a straightforward psychological explanation. Partition is the status quo. Uh, Northern Catholics and Southerners are used to that status quo. And therefore, even if there were to be a loss in a future referendum, it would not be, so to speak, transformative. Whereas for Northern Protestants who are unionists, losing the referendum, for many of them, it would be perceived as existential. Uh, and that psychological difference is, I think, very likely to
1: persist. And of course, you know, those in favour of United Ireland, Northern Ireland, you know, will know that they will, you know, probably almost certainly be able to have another go at it they can, in they seven can, years or or, or, right. or more. Yeah, they can live to vote another day. Hopefully, not to fight another day. <laughs> exactly. Turning then to sort of economic and financial issues, and and as you said, this was quite a big part of the survey. You you have some. Uh, questions which are about sort of immediate effects, um, or potential immediate effects on people's incomes, and then you have a longer term question about the benefits or or otherwise um, of United Ireland economically. And I think what I found very interestingly also the question of distribution um, who would actually benefit um, from a uh, from a United Ireland, uh, even if there were overall growth with particular sections of society. You know, take up much of the, of 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 the benefit. So perhaps you could start off on the first, um, the first point: the sort of the the short term um, effects of United Ireland and how they might affect right. people. We we were specifically concerned, if you'll
2: forgive me, to focus on egocentric voting, where people would vote in their own interests. Yeah. Uh, which we can contrast, If f- forgive me for the academic term, sociotropic voting, where you vote for what's best for society or for yeah. the nation. So we specifically uh, wanted to see what people thought about unification, if it affected their personal finances in a positive direction or in a negative direction. And we we based our calculations on a difference related to roughly 11 euros a day. And unsurprisingly, if people think they're going to be better off, they're more inclined to vote for unification. And if they think they're gonna be worse off, they're more inclined not to. But the results are not symmetrical. They're not the same on each side. So clearly for southerners, they are even more likely to be positive about unification if if they're going to do well. But doing badly won't necessarily as dramatically shift their their opinions. Northern Protestants are uh, generally pessimistic about unification and their disposition to be hostile to unification is strongly reinforced by, by a negative scenario in which they might lose. Now, relatedly, we we did something innovative uh, for which I think um, John is particularly due credit. We we focused on the difference between the short run and the long run. And the innovation here was to ask them to define the short term and the long term because these are subjective terms where you might find significant variation. And what we found was that southerners uh, strongly expect short run costs – Attached to unification, but also strongly expect long-run benefits, yeah. and they're willing to take. We we judge from the data the short-run costs on the chin. Uh, when we look at the difference, uh, and as you might expect, uh, Northern Protestants, Northern Unionists are more likely to believe that uh, unification will lead to mutual ruin of, of the contending parties. And what we found when we asked about the short run and the long run, uh, northern Catholics have a much shorter short run yes. and a much shorter long run than uh, the other respondents so we might say that northern catholics have a, a cheery scenario of, of potential uni- uh, the potential economics of unification whereas by contrast northern protestants have a, a gloomy and pessimistic outlook they they foresee a long short term and a long long term and no uh,
1: per- perhaps no net benefits john you you come in at any point here but uh, you you mentioned that the you know, the two scenarios involved a, a gain, a personal gain of eleven euros a day, or approximately four thousand a year, or or a loss on the same scale. I mean, of course, if that amount were the same for everyone, um, obviously <laughs> it's truism. The better off would presumably be better able to uh, absorb any any hit, and conversely, I suppose the less well off would gain more
0: um, from the the positive scenario that's true and we 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 tried to tease out the difference between um people in in high income groups and and lower income groups in another um set of questions by asking people who they thought would what income groups north and south they thought would benefit more from um from unity and who who would suffer and um there was an interesting perhaps not totally unexpected finding that people thought to some extent that well rich people do Grand all the in time. any circumstance, and if there's if there's, if there's unity sure they'll do well out of it and if then it, if it, they won't um, they won't terribly suffer and one response to this would be if you were um, a, a, an advocate of unification, you might think well this is this is great at least we have the rich people on side because people think they'll do well, but nobody thinks they're rich either when you ask people to say, Well, what income group do you think you're in um, almost nobody says well i'm in the high income group Um, I'm, I'm actually in the low and middle income group and, and people are more inclined to see that people in low and middle income groups won't do, won't do quite as well as, um, the, the people in the, the higher income groups. And what Brendan referred um, earlier as well briefly to the, the question we asked where we asked people, do they think the North would do better or the South would do better? Under Irish unification, or would they both do the same, or would, would they both do worse? And there is an intriguing finding that, that to some extent, um, if you'll forgive the phrase, the grass is always greener over there, or maybe not quite as green over there, depending on your, your perspective. People in the North think that people in the, the South would benefit more than the North from unity, and people in the South think that people in the North would benefit more than the South from, from unity. But, as as Brendan, I think, briefly said earlier, there's um, a tendency for, for Northern Protestants in particular to be the group who'll say that, well, nobody's going to benefit particularly. And Northern Catholics and people in the South are more likely to say that ever, both North and South would, would benefit.
2: Well, one qualification, John, which I'm sure you'll accept. In the North, almost nobody said they were within the high-income group. By contrast, I think it was 6% of those in the mm-hmm. South thought they were in the high-income group. Now, whether those perceptions are accurate or not is um, is an interesting matter. But uh, the interesting thing about the North is, and I don't think it's a, an artifact of our methods,
1: is how few, po- how few people regard themselves as high-income. Yes, um, I suppose, well, I, I suppose in a sense that's true that if you, you know, the top... The top ten percent of earners, you know, only begin uh, at a rather high level of, of, of net income. The figure of four thousand euro, did you hit on that, just through a, a very rough calculation of what the famous um, subvention um, is or or might be. No, we
2: didn't link it to the subvention. Um, We simply chose a a simple number that would be easy to explain if asked. So roughly speaking, 10 or 11 euros uh, a day. Uh, What does that add add up to over a year Uh, with the equivalent in in Sterling? And uh, we'd asked this question the previous year, so we wanted to keep it. Um we could, in future years, do an estimate based on the yeah. subvention. The trouble is that estimates of the subvention are highly controversial yes. because uh, I would take the view, and my colleague in Aaron's John Doyle would take the view that current estimates of the subvention, underestimate what is raised in tax in Northern Ireland and overestimate what is actually spent in Northern Ireland, particularly what would be spent in a United Ireland compared to what is currently spent. So we'd have to give different estimates of the subvention to make that kind of of question work. What we did do, however, and this was novel and not asked before, was we asked people uh, what they thought about this, the South in effect. Making preparation for the potential costs of unification, and we gave them a long and detailed explanation of what a sovereign wealth fund is, and we asked them, would they be willing, uh, would would they like to see uh, the Republic setting aside ten percent of its budget surplus every year towards preparation for the the costs of a United Ireland, and. Um, it's very clear that the question implies that if there's no um, surplus, there's going to be no uh, investment that year. And likewise, if there's a, if there's a deficit, we find um, both support for the idea, strong support in the north. They don't have to pay uh, anything. Uh, uh, stronger support than we expected uh, in advance uh, in the south and a willingness to hear more about the idea, uh, both north and south. And I... I I do think this is innovative because previously the the general assumption has been nobody in the South wants to pay a single euro. They like the idea of a United Ireland, but they don't want to pay a single euro. And I think this question, put fairly, shows that that's not true. Provided it's targeted and specific, they're willing to contemplate setting aside some funds um, for the
1: possibility of the costs attached to unification. Yes, and of course we we have recently had established uh, two funds, and I suppose even without setting up a separate fund, um, to cover the costs of unity or the potential costs of unity, it would be possible, I suppose, to uh, define that as as one of the purposes, um, of the existing uh, machinery. Uh, on this question of the the longer term, then you you say that the, um, the Northern Protestants tend to be pessimistic. Uh, about the consequences, both in the short term and in the long term, as between sort of Northern Catholics and people in the South. Now, I suppose people in the South are more likely to be. Well, it seem to me that they're more likely to be conscious of having to, you know, pick up at least some of the the tab uh, for United Ireland, even if the amount is is less than than some say. Um. So, how did you find, you know, the uh, the difference between? Northern Catholics and, and Southern voters. Maybe I'll ask
0: uh, John this. I think you're right, Roy. We found that when you say to essentially say to people, "Look, there might be short term costs, but long term gains." And if they're if they're the kind of people who say, "Yeah, yeah, you're right," there'll be short term costs, long term gains. They um they tend to put more emphasis on the long term than the short term, and they tend to uh, allow the, their conception that there'll be long-term benefits to outweigh the cost that they may have to take on the chin in the in the short term. So that you do get in the south, you know, the the, the biggest um, category of people in the south when they're asked is to say there will be um, short-term pain but long-term gain, and those people tend when you ask them, "Well, would you vote for Irish uni- unification or would you not?" Those people tend to do so in the same proportion as those who think, sure, it'll be gain, gain, short term and long term. And what that suggests to to us is that short term costs and the acknowledgement and perception and acknowledgement of them isn't a big deterrence away from voting for unity. And that essentially complements the point that. Brendan has just made, that um, there is, you know, it's, it's not a case that people, as soon as there's a possibility of any pain at all, run away screaming from the idea of unification. You know, they are, you know, to some extent willing to put up with investing 10% in unity over, uh, over or, or if, if it ever happens, and they are willing to put up with some short-term gain. So I think the two findings kind of complement each other.
1: No, it's 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 interesting because of course I mean just standing back, uh, it's a little easier to see how the North might benefit um from a United island than the than the south. it's it's difficult, even leaving aside the question of immediate costs, bit hard to to see why it would be um, that most regions of the South, maybe the border counties would be a different question, would benefit. Um, but that's a, a matter for another day, I suppose. Well, what what we have to emphasise here is that we're
2: measuring and hopefully successfully measuring opinions. Yes, we're not uh, doing an objective uh, economic analysis of what might happen north
1: and south. No, but it is interesting that voters in the south, or quite a lot of them, you know, seem to find it, you know, credible yeah. that there would be increases in uh, in in, in well being or and an in income over the long run. Yeah, yeah, and both parts of the island. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can we now move on to the question of constitutional change and uh, flags and anthems? And in a way, um, it seemed to me in reading these elements of the survey that you're talking about two different questions. I mean, one is about a willingness sort of almost in the abstract uh, to accept or support a new constitution or to hold to a, the present one. Um, And then the flags and anthems are a more, um, are a more sort of concrete, um, concrete issue. So maybe um, I'll ask Brendan to lead off on the whole question of constitutional change, people's openness to the, the idea of constitutional change. Right. We, we decided, as I think I said earlier,
2: not to focus on the, pers- the possibility of persistence of devolution inside a united Ireland. And we set our respondents three possible options. Would they like a brand new constitution uh, made uh, on the basis of a, a constitutional convention? Would they like to amend the existing constitution to facilitate unification? Or do they think the constitution should be kept as is and applied in the event of unification, which, as listeners may know, was Eamon de Valera's original intent? Now, you may say, um, and some might say, particularly constitutional lawyers, that we're giving a false choice here because if you were to transfer the northern institutions into United Ireland, it's probably the case that one constitutional amendment would be necessary, uh, namely to have a subordinate executive in the north. But we decided we were interested in just seeing how many were, let's just apply the constitution as we have it, uh, and how many were in that box. Well, the results were interesting. Uh, We found most uh, that they split three ways, broadly speaking, with some don't knows. Uh, the brand new constitution was the most preferred, followed by amending the constitution and keeping it as it is. And unsurprisingly, those who want to keep it as it is are with the party who made that constitution. They're Fianna Fáil supporters, but they also include a significant number of uh, Southern Sinn Fein voters.
1: Yes, you you, you um, make the distinction there between Southern views and, and Northern views. I suppose, in a way, voters in the South or. Those responding to the poll in the south are much more likely to feel a sense of ownership that this is their slash our uh, constitution, um, whereas one might imagine that 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 northerners and especially northerners opposed to unity would regard this as an absolutely kind of hypothetical question. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you have it
2: um, absolutely right there, uh, Rory. And I think there's also a sense among northern Sinn Féin voters and northern uh, Catholics and the northern others that the southern constitution wasn't made for them. And therefore, quite rationally, if unification happens, whether they're opposed to it or against it, they'd like a new uh, mm. constitution
1: in which they'd play a, a part in its, in its making. I mean, again, this is not a matter for the survey, but, you know, it it raises very interesting questions because, of course, what do people understand by the Constitution or what bits of the Constitution are they attached to? Uh, And one might imagine that, in many cases, what people care about are almost the the symbolic um, aspects of the the Constitution, the the preamble, for example, the two topics, um, women in the home and definition of the family, which are going to be the subject of of referenda later this year, uh, and maybe less concerned about the actual mechanics of 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 government but we but we don't know for certain it's, right. only, it's only and, speculation yeah. and we
2: also don't know to what extent the public particularly in the north is up to date on its knowledge of the extent to which the southern constitution has been amended already
1: yes no it's it's most fascinating because of course in in Germany um you know the unified Germany simply proceeded on the basis of the of the uh, basic law of yeah. the basic law exactly. Whereas one can imagine when people in particular talk about a new Ireland, it might seem logical to have a new constitution as as well, whatever that might, can, might include. And of course, there are lots of other questions. How far do you try to negotiate these things in advance of unification? Do you negotiate them between a vote and, and, and implementation? Or do you say we will have a constitutional convention down the road? But these are all questions which can't be answered on the basis of the of, of the survey. But they do, you know, certainly the results show some very interesting um, patterns. Yeah, and um, John, I said earlier I'd ask you about um, the uh, the always contentious issues of flags and anthems, and and Brendan said earlier something about you having um, introduced a kind of a scoring system, which is a bit different from from last year, where, it was, as I understand, it was more a simple binary: are you in favour or are you against?
0: Last year, what we found there was an awful lot of hostility, particularly in the south, to any changes in in flag. And, and anthem. And so we wanted to come up with a question this year, which teased that out, um, a little bit more, perhaps a little bit more subtly rather than simply saying to people, so do you want a new flag or old flag, new anthem, old anthem? We asked people quite a detailed question about a particular, a process that could occur that might lead to changes in the flag or anthem. So we were essentially asking people, if they were open to a procedure that might lead to changing the flag and the anthem. So a slightly subtle question. And when, when we asked that, we found that in the South, you get as many people saying, yeah, OK, I'm, I'm I'm OK with that. Let's have this procedure. As many people who say that as say, no, I'm totally against it. And, and quite a few saying, you know, I'd, I'd like to know more. And as Brendan has just alluded to on the question of the of the Constitution, Again, what we find is that while there, there is an openness in the South and it's kind of equally, equally balanced, the South compared to the North is, is relatively conservative. So, you know, Northern Catholics and, and Northern Protestants are more likely to say, yes, let's have this procedure that might lead to changes in, in the flag and anthem. And it, again, looking particularly at those actors in the South who are relatively conservative, you have, um, Fina supporters and Sinn Fein supporters, whereas um in the north, Sinn Fein supporters are a little are more open to possibility of changing these things compared to those in the South. And so I think again, Rory, as you I think quite rightly said earlier, maybe the, the South is perhaps a bit more conservative because it's the South that's been changed. <laughs> and the people in the north are saying yeah, let's 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 change this if, up a bit. If
2: you don't mind, Rory and and John, I'd like to emphasise the nature of the question we posed in a little yeah. more detail. We set up a scenario for them in which, in the event of unification, a committee of the new All Island Parliament would uh, convene experts on the cultural heritage of mm-hmm. every group on the island, and they would allow poets, writers, and and artists to draft uh, proposed alternatives Mm -hmm. to the existing flag and anthem. And then we said this would be put to a vote in a referendum and decided by a majority. So, what that's clearly signaling to those who care to read it carefully is that there would be a veto in effect for the southern population because Mm -hmm. in a united Ireland, they would be an overwhelming majority. So, it's an effort to assess to what extent particularly are Southerners uh, willing to change through a fair procedure. And I think the results are are interesting. Um, Yes, it's true in the South, the, the difference between disagree and agree is statistically insignificant. They're both roughly around 30%. But... That's only sixty percent of the population. The rest are—I'd like to know more about the idea—or don't know. And that, I think, will give some hope to those who think uh, we need to see some
1: flexibility on these questions. Yes, yeah. and, again, and again, just you know, trying off the off the cuff as it were to interpret these things. I suppose there's a big difference between what people fear might be a, a decision—you know—from one day to the next to change the. The flag and the anthem, even before uh, a unity vote, uh, and the, and those who, as you say, would be open to a to a process. And it is interesting that only thirty percent, if you like, were were clearly firmly opposed to the idea of such a process. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a more general point, which you came up there and has come through a, a number of the um, the questions. You know, the difference between Northern Catholics and 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 Southerners, and in particular between Northern Sinn Fein voters. Uh, and southern um, Sinn Féin voters. And maybe, you know, one of you would like to say a bit about about that distinction. Uh, John, maybe you'd like to talk about the difference between uh, Sinn Féin voters North and, and South.
0: As we've said, both in relation to the Constitution, um, but particularly in relation to the flag and anthem, I think that the differences were, were quite big between um, Sinn Féin North and Sinn Féin South. And they might possibly be big on the thing that we're coming to talk on about, which is the, the presidency, but I don't want to to uh, preempt that. I guess sometimes it's interesting that, that Sinn Féin and the South kind of team up with um, Fianna Fáil in terms of the similarity of their response. They've been relatively conservative um, to, to, to change, and um, those in the, the North, I guess it hooks into the point that's just been made, that they're... Um, they're not so wedded to the southern way of going on and the southern symbols and more open to um to 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 changing things um sorry i'm just repeating what we've said before i i i really want to talk about the presidency findings <laughs> but i want you to let me allow me to do that before we do.
1: <laughs> well okay that leads on very nicely um to the the final the f- fifth part um of the survey results as published so far the presidency and you come up with a, a novel a proposal um, to put to people. So what we were looking
2: for, you, you will recall, Rory, last year that uh, a significant proportion of the population of the Republic wanted everybody to be um Irish citizens only in the event of unification. So we were particularly interested in willingness to accommodate the British identity. So what we did was we decided um, to put a question about the possibility of a new vice president who would have to uh, be the running mate of each candidate who ran for the presidency. And we uh, put it to the respondents that this vice president would have both British and Irish citizenship, and that would be a requirement Mm -hmm. for them to run. We deliberately didn't give them any details of the vice president's powers uh, and whether or not the vice president would replace the president in the event of death of the president in office or through resignation or forced departure from from office, because we wanted to focus entirely on how the public would think about this president with dual affiliations. So that's how we set up the question. And John, you can report the answers.
0: One of the interesting findings is that Sinn Féin um, uh, supporters in the North are more open to agreeing with this um, proposal. 39% of them agree. And again, Sinn Féin supporters in the the South are those that are um, more conservative. Only 25% um, agree. And uh, again, there's um, more... agreement generally in the, the North overall and amongst Catholics and Protestants and others with the proposal that um, Brendan has just um, outlined. And in the South, um, just over one-fifth agree, and you've got almost a third who, who disagree. So the South, again, is a bit more um, conservative on this position, somewhat less open to, to, to change. Although, having said that, there's a lot of people, just a, a third, who say, I'd like to know more about this, and just over 12%, 12% who, who don't know. So there's a lot of scope, arguably, for people uh, wanting to know more, and because this is a relatively novel, underdeveloped idea that isn't really in much in the, in the public debate. So you'd, you'd imagine that people need a bit of a chance to think more about it. But a, but a general trend is there's, Openness in the south, but south is a bit more conservative, and that maps onto Sinn Féin, north and south as well.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Which is, a, as we said earlier, is a, a fairly common common trend. I am interested. I mean, to what extent would um, firm unionist supporters have engaged with with these questions? I mean, how many of them said they didn't know or didn't care, um, or wanted to know more, or, or were they prepared almost as an intellectual exercise to uh, to engage?
0: Well, the the proportion of Northern Ireland Protestants who said I would like to know more about this idea was twenty six percent, and the percentage who said I don't know is um, is twenty three percent. So you know you're talking um, half who say who, who don't have um, a firm view, and I, I think um, and I think that percentage is pretty much the same when you break it down for for the for the DUP. So this is where I think it's interesting to look at the distinction between I don't know and I would like to know more about it. Because sometimes, if if you were to ask people from a, a, a Protestant background in Northern Ireland questions like this, and they say, "Well, I don't know," you might think, "Well, maybe they just don't want to, don't don't like it, the sound of this at all, and they don't want to engage in this kind of talk, and this is just their mm-hmm. way of saying I don't want to be involved." But if they say, "I'd like to know more about it before I come to a view," that's kind of handy to know because it seems they're, they're open to considering it. And there's slightly more of them than there are of the of the don't-knows.
1: Yeah, I, I might well want to know more
2: myself, I, I imagine. Um, I, I, I think I'd tick that box myself, even though I helped design the question.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then one of the, well, you said you didn't get into the, the powers of the vice president, but you put the proposition when asking people about the Senate... Um, that the vice president and the president could have the joint uh, power uh, to nominate representatives uh, to the Senate. Right. The the design question here was...
2: They've just answered the question on the president and a possible British and Irish vice president. And we go on to to suggest to them that the power of nomination to the Senate be taken away from the Taoiseach Mm -hmm. and given to the president and vice president on the stipulation that they would have to uh, appoint people who were inclusive and representative of the whole island. So there's a lot of complexity in there because clearly this is a shift of power away from Mm -hmm. uh, the leading um, uh, politician in the Doyle, the Taoiseach, and the transfer to what has historically been a symbolic presidency. Nevertheless, uh, the results were rather similar to those uh, attached to changes to the design of the presidency itself. And we do think that the idea here uh, does... um, have some appeal to those among the unionist population who would find unification almost impossible to accept. Um, I'd like to, just to say a little bit of, of word about British identity here because our question about the presidency ...references British and Irish citizenship.
1: Yes, I'm but, going to come on to yeah, that question of identity in yeah, a second, but, but please go ahead. But
2: the, the, the simple point I want to make here is that the British identification in the North is a harder loyalist unionist identity. I can't tell you whether in the South people think of the British identity as uh, an identity that they're more opposed to than a Northern Irish identity. Uh, But it's still obviously a a tough thing to stomach for many traditional Irish nationalists, the idea of a vice president who would have dual affiliations.
1: Well, that brings us on then to the question of identity or self-identification, I I suppose. Um, And again, maybe, John, you'd like to talk about the, the design of the... The question and this question of trying to measure the intensity um, with which people feel, um, you know, one thing or the other.
0: Yeah, what we were attempting to do was to kind of, I guess, move away from a simple dichotomy or binary of Irish and, and British and ask people, both North and South, about four different identities, British, Irish, European and Northern Irish. And a second point to make is that oftentimes when you ask people about identity, they just get to tick a box, but we, we wanted to have a nuanced measure. So we asked them how strongly they felt or they feel British, Irish, Northern Irish or European on a on a not to 10 scale. And what we find when we do that and we, for example, hone in on those people who ticked give the, the the kind of a top nuclear option, the ten the ten out of ten. And if we look at people in Northern Ireland who do that, it interestingly looks like a, a three horse race, an even split between people who give the strongest option to British, the strongest option to Irish, and the strongest option to to Northern Irish. And about one in ten um say that they're Euro- European. And this this poses an intriguing question to which there is possibly more than one possible answer which is what does this Northern Irish um, identity inverted commas mean if so many people tick it and one thing to say first of all is that one of the reasons so many people go for that option is that it gets supporters from people who are from a Catholic background and from people from a Protestant background, so that's an identity that can kind of swim in two reservoirs if i can if I can use the term and it it gets it tends to get more support from people from a, a a Protestant background than from a Catholic background though it's got a good a good chunk in both so we were intrigued by that because we're intrigued by possible um either common or bridging identities or shared identities whatever word you 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 want to use, it, it's intriguing to reflect on identities other than the distinctly Irish or Northern Irish one, or no, uh, sorry, Irish or British ones.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry, Brendan. One of the intriguing things now, and I think we're picking up in our survey what has been found in other surveys, is that Northern Irish is a, a, a quite highly endorsed identity. And Irish is now just ahead of British as a strongly endorsed identity. So the British identity is falling, particularly if you give people these open choices, which includes the the Northern Irish identity. For those who think that the European identity could act as a bridging identity, our survey is not strongly good news because... Northern Catholics and the population of the Republic are warmly disposed to the European identity. That is not the case among, among Northern Protestants, uh, regrettably. So if people are going to focus on what what might work as the best bridging identity, I mean, John, you've created two reservoirs, so we have to get a bridge over the two reservoirs. Um, the Northern I- Northern Irish identity is potentially that bridging identity, though its meanings remain to be fully explored.
1: Yes, I mean, I think from other um, surveys, John, I, I think – you know, there has been you know, evidence of sort of growing attachment to this northern Irish identity over over time and also that it may be particularly popular among among younger people
0: well it's it's a very solid finding over many surveys and and across different precise ways of asking the question that you get a good chunk of people from both a Catholic background and a Protestant background who will in a survey contest text tick the box of Northern Irish. Now, one way of interpreting what Northern Irish is, is to say that it it really isn't anything meaningfully new. It's just a different way of articulating and manifesting the two existing identities. So you could say that for people from a Catholic background, Northern Irish with a small n on Northern is simply Irish, but it's just geographically Northern version of Irish. For people from a Protestant background, they might be Northern Irish because they happen to live in one component part of the United Kingdom called Northern Ireland and Northern Irish with a capital N is, is an indication of that. But, but a different interpretation is to say that it's, it's proactively explicitly and deliberately chosen by at least some people as a way of, um, making an identification that's deliberately not either British or Irish. And we do find some empirical um, evidence to support that in the sense that Northern Irish identity tends to be chosen, for example, much more by or endorsed or um, you know embraced much more by, say, SDLP voters than Sinn Fein voters, and more by UUP voters than DUP voters, and much alliance more by voters. Alliance, alliance voters than any other voters. So it's it's a legitimate debate to have as to what it what on earth this thing means. But
1: But there you go. Just to to clarify, uh, did you give people the chance uh, to attach themselves to to more than one identity with, of course, presumably different levels of enthusiasm? I mean, could you say that you were, I mean, to follow the John Hewitt uh, logic um, that you could be Ulster, as I think you would have said at the time, Irish, British, European, um, where that option was open to people, presumably, or was it?
0: Yeah, these questions were asked, you know, Distinctly, so you, you you could you could have ticked ten on all yes. four, or you could have ticked um, zero on all four. You know, so there's a, there's there's the, the number of combinations is yeah. um, you know eleven by 11 by, <laughs> eleven by eleven by eleven. So it's not really uh, a bi- it's not really a binary um, identity uh, that we're in. Uh,
1: and and this is my question about um, younger people: any evidence of of a
0: greater openness to the term among them, or or not? um haven't investigated in this particular data set, but in other in other data sets it tends to be younger people from a Protestant background who um embrace northern Irish whereas the younger people of the Catholic background um tend to be more likely to embrace Irish than northern irish but but don't hold me to that on this particular data set I haven't looked at it yet yeah
1: and and then one final question um on this to what extent uh does your research or did your research um say anything um about people who were not born either not born in Northern Ireland or, or not born into either tradition I mean the
0: so-called new Irish or the new northern Irish indeed um well it's a bit hard the the numbers get very small on this we 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 consistently run the the others category which to some extent is a residual and in, incorporates all um, kinds of people on the on one of the identity questions, we'd have to look at it in a bit more more detail to pick up all of the nuances. Yeah, no,
1: ab- 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 absolutely, and of course, that's an interesting question in the uh, Republic as 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 well. I mean, one assumes that new immigrants are often hyper patriotic. We see this in the United States, whereas in Northern Ireland, it's well, it's an open question, I suppose, as to what you know, opinions people might might have. Look, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, I really recommend those who have not been cutting the articles out of the Irish Times uh, to uh, to look back um, at, at what's in the Irish Times archive um, and to to absorb the very interesting and significant uh, material which is there. Um, we're going to have a further podcast in, in a couple of months about those parts of the survey um, which have not yet been um, been published uh, but before i go um john and, and and brendan any any particular sort of farewell point something you wish i had asked or something you wish you had said no i what i would like to do
2: is to advertise what's coming next yeah and what's coming next are what are technically called experiments and I, I don't think people should conjure up an image of a laboratory and John and I roaming around in white coats, um, <laughs> putting uh, electrodes in people's <laughs> brains um, instead, That's next year. <laughs> <laughs> instead, what we're doing is we're approaching some very important um, largely symbolic questions with different framings. So that involves giving people completely accurate information in all cases, but giving them different accurate information to see if that shapes their views on the relevant question. So for example, the Commonwealth might be described in one way accurately and in another way accurately. And do these descriptions make differences to their overall views? Because if so, that would tell us something about what is malleable in a campaign.
1: And of course, just to, to just to ask John if he wants to follow up on that. But also, of course, this is the the second year of this joint uh, endeavour between Ireland and the Irish Times, uh, and it's not the last. But John, any
0: f- final comments from you? Following on from Brendan, encourage people to tune in later for the next episode on the the fascinating uh, results of the uh, the um, experiments. And I just agree with what you've just said, Rory. This is a kind of a multi year project, so. Each year, you kind of learn something, and then you have to really think about it, and then figure out what would be a logical next step to research to tease out the nuances.
1: I should, I suppose, also mention that there is a um, a committee of Aaron's colleagues, uh, which you know, supports Brendan and, and and John, and likewise, of course, um, Jamie Pow, who I mentioned at the at the beginning, and maybe we can get him on uh, to a future podcast as, as as well. John, Gary, and Brendan Lillieri, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking again before too long. Thank you, Rory. Thank you, Rory. ARANS stands for Analyzing and Researching Ireland, North and South. It's a joint initiative of the Royal Irish Academy, which is the premier all-Ireland scholarly institution, and the University of Notre Dame's Cioe-Nocton Institute of Irish Studies, which is itself part of the Cioe School of Global Affairs. It was established in 2020 with the objective, especially at that time in a post-Brexit context, of producing authoritative, independent, and non-partisan analysis and research across the full range of relevant constitutional, institutional, and social issues. And in fact, over the last couple of years, uh, we've covered uh, a quite remarkable range of subjects. And the research can be found in the Journal of Irish Studies in International Affairs, which is published by the Royal Irish Academy, and access to which is free to all online. Uh, the aim is to be scholarly, uh, but also accessible and relevant. Publications began to appear in early 2021, um, and this podcast also began uh, in 2021 in June I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast you just listened to and I also hope that you will find others uh, of interest um, on our website which is aaronsproject.com and also that you listen out for future podcasts which are normally dropped on the first Thursday of every month. Thanks very much for listening.